good to hear you singing this morning, to see that on your face, to see your countenance, and to hear your voices declaring the greatness of our God. That's why we're here in this place. I don't know all the reasons you've come. There are other reasons to be at church, fellowship, community, study the Bible. But when we sing these songs, I pray that the Lord will inhabit the praises of his people. Amen. He's within us, but that he would work in this place among us and do what only he can do in this place. So thank you for being here and being a part of that. I hope you've come anticipating what God wants to do today in your heart, in our church, in your life groups, in our families. We're so excited about what God is up to, and I hope you are. So thank you for being here today. If you're visiting with us at Judson, welcome. It's a great day to be at Judson. It always is, and we're thankful for your presence in this place. We just ask you to give us a little bit of information. You can do that several ways. After the service, you can head out to the Next Steps desk, or are there Connect cards? Do we have those still? Do you all have a Connect card in the back of the pew there in front of you? So you can fill that out, take it out with you. Feel free to do that. Yeah, we hadn't mentioned that in a while. We're glad for you to do that if you want to. You can leave it there in your seat or you can bring that out to the Next Steps desk after the service. You can even scan the QR code uh, if your phone will reach that. I don't know. But if you've joined us online especially, that's a great way to do it. You can scan that QR code. You get a bunch of information about our church and ways you can connect with us. You can also, if you're home or here, I suppose, text the word live to the number that's there. That's our main church number. You can hold on to that as well and reach us that way. But you text that the word live to that number and you'll get that same information and one of our pastors will be in touch with you this week. We want to make sure that you feel welcome today, that you feel at home at Judson Baptist Church, and that you just feel free to jump in in every way that you can and participate in what God is doing here today. So thank you for being here today. We're grateful for your presence. Turn and greet some folks that are around you this morning. Make sure everyone feels welcome. is worthy. Lift our voices together and declare that today. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. We live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. We live for you.
worthy. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. We live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. We live for you. continue to show us who you are, God, that you would reveal that great, awesome love through our lives, taking us to those who need to hear it, who need to see it, who need to know your love like we do, your grace, your forgiveness, and your mercy. Lord, just like you were sending Jonah, Lord, we know that you send us. Let us be obedient to go where you lead, to go where you command, and to share the love 
and the truth of Jesus with everyone around us. Stir our hearts once again with compassion and the love you have for people, Lord. Give it to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Some that know and some that don't That what they need is a little hope They need a little hope When they're living in Nineveh Living in Nineveh Oh, live the truth and let the light shine from you When you're living in Nineveh Living in Nineveh
Amen. Because we're all called to be there in one way or another, right? To go to where the captives are, to preach the good news to the captives, the good news of Jesus. So live the truth and let the light shine from you wherever God's called you. The truth of our wonderful, merciful Savior. Would you stand once more this morning? Let's sing this together. Wonderful, merciful Savior, precious Redeemer and friend, who would have thought that a lamb could rescue the souls of men? Counselor, Comforter, Keeper, Spirit we long to embrace. You offer hope when our hearts have hopelessly lost our way. Oh, we've hopelessly lost our Good morning. As we get started, you go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to the book of Jonah in chapter 4. And as uh, we get started, I do want to take just a moment to recognize the fact that we have about 50 students and probably 20 more volunteers and leaders who are at student camp this morning. And they're kind of in their halfway uh, period right now of student camp. And they'll be coming back on Tuesday. And 
You know, as I was telling even my own children this week, I hope that you have all the fun in the world, but I really hope that they hear from the Lord this week. You know, I think that's important, and I want us to just stop and pray for all the kids and the the workers that are there and the speakers and worship leaders, if you don't mind. So let's just uh, take a moment and do that. Father, as we've uh, come before you this morning, we're so grateful to be in your house, and we're so excited that uh, we have uh, this great number of kids at student camp and workers and Our prayer, Father, for them is that they would hear from you just as much as they have fun. Father, that you would uh, just bind them together into a great group as they get ready to come into the fall of this year and and start school next week. Father, I pray that they would have uh, a deeper relationship with you, but also deeper relationship with one another. We pray for the leadership of the camp and for everybody that's going to be speaking and leading worship today and tonight. Father, that you would just do a great work through them. Anoint them, Father, with your power. And we just ask that the Holy Spirit would move in and amongst their midst. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to finish our study of the prophet Jonah starting uh, next week. So we'll be done with that. And uh, that's an important thing for us to do. And I just, I want to remind you of what we've seen so far, if you could kind of think back with me. In chapter one, we talked about how God gives a call to your life. You know, you have this vocational call, and then there's this general call that God gives over our lives to share the gospel uh, in all the world, to all nations, every chance we get. Then there are oftentimes a specific call that God gives you. uh, As I've told you many times now, my friend calls it the nudge, you know, where you see something and the Lord just kind of pushes you a little bit to do that. I got to be at uh, the Recovery Church two-year anniversary. Many of you were were there on Thursday night, and that all happens because people have seen that, and they had a little nudge from the Holy Spirit, and they responded, and it was awesome to watch people receive their crosses for sobriety uh, over the months and years that they have been clean and sober, and I mean, just those kinds of things happen because God puts that on somebody's heart, and they respond, and as they respond, God begins to use them, and then in the second week, we really looked at what happens in the storms of life. Do you remember we talked about there are two types of storms that happen? Uh, One is what Jonah went through. It's a storm of disobedience to bring you back into obedience. And we compared and contrasted that with the disciples being on the Sea of Galilee when Jesus calmed the storms. And we talked about how life is filled with all of those types of storms too. And discerning the difference is really important because one is meant to build your faith. You know, when Jesus comes and calms the storms, he sent the disciples into that storm so he could then show them that he was Lord of all and build their faith. Uh, the other is a little more unpleasant because God places us in that as, as a form of discipline to bring us back in to obedience. In the third week, we looked at what the process of repentance was like as we saw in Jonah's life. Uh, you remember we said that Jonah understood that God was right near to him. He, he could call on the Lord, and God is always near to us so that we can call out to him in repentance. And, and we find that process of repentance when we place our hope only in the Lord, not ourselves, not anything else, but only the Lord, and we humble ourselves. I think that's very important for us to keep in mind because odds are this week, I mean, if I know you like I know me, right, we're going to need to repent. It's how it works. So these things happen for a reason in the scripture for us to see it. And then last week, we looked at what happened when 
God's judgment is compared and contrasted with his mercy. You remember that we talked about when God destroys something, it's that word overthrow. And we talked about the idea of like flipping a table, you know, with all, everything you've built your life upon on that table and things that you value. And, and it's literally overturned and destroyed. And we saw how with a word from the Lord that Jonah preached in the city of Nineveh, it changed people's hearts. And it started with the people and it moved to the king. And the king ultimately makes this proclamation that says, everybody is supposed to seek the Lord earnestly. Remember, seek the Lord with all your heart, you'll find him. And then he said, you need to turn from your wickedness and your evil ways. I mean, that's a, a great thing for us to think about, seeking the Lord with all of our hearts. And when we do that, it's just a beautiful thing. So I want to start in Jonah chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 1 and 2 this morning. Uh, Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. He prayed to the Lord, please, Lord, isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled toward Tarshish in the first place. I knew you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. So this chapter really begins with a stunning moment of transparency for Jonah that we really haven't seen so far. Uh, and, and, in fact, as I read that this week in study, I thought, did I, miss, did I miss something in chapter one? Because he never said that. He's saying, I knew this. I was thinking this because I knew you all too well. Well, for us to be able to do that, I think we need to just be reminded of what had happened in chapter three. In chapter three, Jonah preached across the city of Nineveh, a three-day journey that he goes and, and preaches and, and we find out later in chapter 4 that 120,000 souls lived in that city and were saved. That's the greatest turn of events in Scripture that I think we can, can, can really point our fingers to. When we talk about uh, the book of Acts in chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell, that was a couple thousand people that were saved, which is amazing. But I can't think of anything else in Scripture, uh, as I kind of pondered that this week, where it was such a great reminder of a reversal. People who were walking towards destruction and they're totally changed and they repent and come back to the Lord and it's a revival like we haven't seen. Well, as we look at that and we see that, we, we see that the end of chapter 3 in verse 10, what God had done. God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil ways, so God relented from the disaster he had threatened them with and he did not do it. Their actions resulted in God's mercy. Their actions resulted in God's mercy being displayed. And judgment didn't come to the city like we expected it to because they did the right thing in the eyes of the Lord. So they must have done exactly what the king said. And there's something for us to see that's amazing there. Seek the Lord earnestly, repent from your wicked ways, and turn from your evil ways, and look what God does. God does something that's amazing. They sought the Lord with all their hearts, and God didn't send disaster. Well, you might think that the result of that in Jonah's life would have been excitement. I, I mean, I don't know about you, but if I had ever preached a sermon where the entire building came to know Christ, I'd be pretty excited. I don't think that I would be sitting there going, I knew it. Man, I knew you were going to do this. I knew that you were going to be merciful to these people. In fact, I always think about it like this. Do you remember in the parables of lostness that uh, the, the Gospels report, re record for us? Uh, particularly in Luke, Luke has them kind of there together. There's like the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son. They kind of run in succession together. 
there, there's this result, and it's one of my favorite verses in the scripture, of what happens when somebody's saved. What's the response in heaven when someone gives their life to Christ? I think it's important for us to keep this in mind. You, you may remember the, the parable of the lost sheep. There's a shepherd, and he has a hundred sheep, and he discovers that one is gone, and he only has 99. Well, he leaves the 99 safe and secure, and he takes off to go find the, the one. And as he's looking for the one, what happens is, is incredible. When he finds it, the scripture records this in, in Luke 15 and verse 7. I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. Now, this is important for us to remember uh, because it's not as if God is displeased with the 99, uh, but there's something to be said about what happens when one who is lost is found. There's rejoicing. It says there's much rejoicing in heaven when this happens because the one has been found. And I think that's great imagery for us to keep in our minds. There's something about being lost that is awful. There's something about being lost that, that is so terminally awful that when they are found, uh, it's amazing what happens in heaven. It says that all heaven begins to rejoice. And, and if you think about how lostness is described, we were all there once. We were wandering. We were without hope. We didn't know a direction that we should go in. And God saved us. And, and that happened because Jesus Christ came and found us. It's not because we found him. Notice that the shepherd went looking for the one that was lost and he found the lost. Jonah's supposed to be the mouthpiece for the Lord. He should have been excited about this, and instead, his reaction is the exact opposite of what we might expect. He's furious. He actually says it displeased him. And if you think about when he's saying that he's furious, what he's saying there is the imagery is this. He was burning up with anger from the inside out. Have you ever done that? Yeah, you have. You might have done it this week, driving around town, Right? It's easy to get there, isn't it? And just kind of had that, that, that seething, burning anger from the inside. That's what it says that he was doing. And, and I want you to see this. The event of repentance and God's mercy displayed actually caused Jonah to get angry. Now, there's a, a contrast here. Rejoicing in heaven and anger that people have repented. Rejoicing in heaven, that's God's reaction to it. Man's reaction in this case was, was that he was angry. But I think it actually goes beyond that because Jonah ran away and he says, I didn't want to go over here because I knew this is what you were going to do. It's an insight we haven't previously had. We might have thought Jonah left and got on the boat because he was scared. We might have thought he, he felt inadequate to preach, but now we know that that's not the case, is it? He left because he says, I knew your character, and I knew this is exactly what you were going to do, and I didn't want you to do it. Now, to be fair, Jonah had a lot of reasons to think about why he didn't like the Assyrians and the city of Nineveh. I mean, th that's all fair. They had been absolutely tormenting the Jewish people. They, they'd been tormenting them. But his reaction is so transparent. It almost, like if somebody said that to you, you'd kind of like shake your head and be like, well, what do you mean? What did you, just, what did you just say? Did you say that you're angry that God spared somebody? Well, Jonah was. I ran away from my call because I knew you were going to do this. I knew it. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this today because we're going to finish this thought next week. But I think it's very important 
Uh, if we don't understand this, we're going to miss something and it's going to make it really difficult for us to fulfill the mission that God's given us. But how can we take the love of Jesus to people we don't love? How does that work? How can we show up and look at people and say, you know, God really loves you. I don't. You ought to give your life to Christ. It'll change it, but I don't have any time for you. Let me, I mean, it's almost kind of, as I thought about it this week, you know, we have these little gospel tracks that we give out sometimes, you know, that, that have the gospel on it. And I keep one in my Bible and uh, I had one in my Bible anyway. Uh, you know, and, 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 but can you just imagine like if, if you had this, it's almost like you'd look at, at somebody and just be like, I really don't want to share with you, but take that. Jim Kimbrough's over here. Remember when we did that video a couple years ago, Kimbrough, we were, we did a, a drive-by tracking to show you what not to do. We saw, we, we kind of did this video of like, how, how should you share the gospel? And Jim and I drove up next to a group of students and threw tracks at them. They went to our church. It was all part of a plan, you know. Uh, and, and if you think about it, I mean, is that really how we want to share the, the love of Christ with people here? No. So I, I think sometimes we don't love people that God loves in the way that he loves them. And, and if we're going to have this call in our lives to share the gospel with people, how can we do it if we don't love them like he's loved them? I think so many times we don't understand what it's like to identify with people anymore. Jesus identified with you. He took on flesh, the scripture says in Philippians chapter 2, and came down despising the glory of heaven and bearing the humility of the cross. That's identification. He lived the life you lived so that he could show you the way. And yet for so many of us, we constantly see the world as a group of people to be angry at and frustrated with and fight. How can we fight people that we're supposed to love? And this is an amazing thing, but should we be surprised that someone who is lost has a different view of gender and sexuality than you do? No. I don't know why we're stunned by that. Why would we be stunned that someone doesn't read the Bible and doesn't take God's view of it if they're not a Christian? Why, why would they do it? Or, or if they don't believe what we believe about the, what God does in conception and life, I mean... Shouldn't that be normal? I mean, shouldn't that be normal? If you're not in Christ, you wouldn't have a Christian viewpoint. And yet we just get angry and it's them versus us and we're ready to fight all the time. How are you going to win somebody to Christ like this? Come on. Shame on us for being that way. Shame on us for doing it. When we were at Recovery Church on Thursday night, they brought in two guest speaker, musician kind of players, and both of these guys were talking about how they had been in recovery themselves and how great it was to see a church full of people who were in recovery. And if you were there, you know that they said this, but here's the thing, it's not unique to them. I've heard it every time I've been at recovery church, every time. You know what's great about coming here, they said, is that I walk in the door and I'm accepted for who I am. Not for who I should be, but for who I am. We need to learn that too here, folks. Right? Jesus doesn't clean people up before he saves them. He saves them and starts cleaning them up. That's how it worked in your life too. We're all in progress with this. So we need to understand that we're going to be effective if we love them like Jesus loved them. And 
and we identify with them, not excusing uh, sin, not uh, uh, affirming sin, but, but to say, I, I meet you where your need is at, and I'm going to walk with you. But I think one of the things that is so important about this passage of Scripture, and this is the real focus of where I want us to be this week, is the description that God is given by Jonah. Jonah's description is is unbelievable and it's perfect. And he gives these attributes of God uh, so that he can describe him for us. And I think that's important. Let me ask you a question, ladies. Uh, Before you were maybe married or whatever, did anybody ever try to set you up on a blind date? Some of you are laughing. You've had some bad ones, you know, right? Blind dates are always interesting things, aren't they? Because if if you've ever had one of your girlfriends say like, hey, I've got this guy that I know and I I think... You know, he'd be, he'd be somebody you ought to meet. Blind dates are a little iffy because sometimes, you know, uh, you, you meet somebody and in the first five minutes of talking to him, you're just like, this is going to be a waste of dinner right here. This isn't going anywhere, you know. But there's always a moment of dread when somebody's trying to talk about a blind date because they have to describe this person to you. And if they ever start with like, you know, well, tell me about, you know, Joe, whatever his name is, Ted. And your friend says, well, He really likes to play golf. He owns his own business and kind of goes on and on about these things. And then you kind of get to that moment and you say, what does he look like? Have you ever had the experience where where your friend said, well, you know, Ted is, he's a really nice guy. He's got a great personality. That's a little lackluster, isn't it? I mean, kind of like, oh, I don't know if I want to do this. I don't know if I can go all in on this. You know, I mean, it just becomes that thing in your life where, where you're uncertain about it, right? Be, be, because I think what happens is descriptions really matter. Descriptions actually matter a lot. Because let's talk about it. Let's, let's forget the blind date for a minute. But let's just talk about an opportunity or an event. If I give you an underwhelming description of what I think that event or that opportunity is going to look like, I mean, you're likely to kind of blow it off if anything equal or maybe even not quite as equal or better comes along. You're... I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this. Descriptions really matter. I, I think that's, that's what's so beautiful about somebody who's able to write a description uh, in a book that you're able to visualize perfectly. It's succinct. It's descriptive. uses image. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful thing when somebody can do that. But I think descriptions also matter for us when we talk about the Lord, particularly when we talk about God the Father. Because if I was going to ask you to describe... God to someone, how would you do it? If you had an opportunity to meet a lost person today and say, you know, I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and I want to tell you about God. How would you do that? How would you start that conversation? Uh, And I think it gets interesting because everybody has a little bit different viewpoint of this. But one of the greatest things about scripture is that it doesn't leave it up to you to describe God. It describes God for us. And on top of that, we have the very uh, manifestation of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And we can look at his life and get a really good description of who God is. We don't have to discern the character of God. We don't have to figure that out. Because if you read the Bible, 
you'll see exactly who God is. He reveals himself to us. God is not hidden from us. He reveals himself to us. So having an accurate description becomes pretty important. If you think about it, for centuries, people worshiped idols, and they had this relationship of, I have to please the different idols. There's the sun idol, the moon idol, the rain idol, and and the fertility idol, and all these kinds of things. And, And I live in fear that if I don't do that, I don't get what I need or what I want. Well, the description of God is is pretty important because even today, there are people all around the world world worshiping thousands of idols. And one of the difficulties is is we're trying to describe a God to them, not to add into the notebook of idols that you would worship today, but we're trying to describe the one true and living God. And I think that's very important. I want you to see the description that Jonah gives of God's character. And here's my hope for us today. My hope is that as you look at it, it's going to give you insight, comfort, and hope. Now, disclaimer, if you're not a note taker, you might want to just grab something to scribble on because I'm going to give you some scriptures today that you may not have time to turn to. I'll read them. And and I want you to see these descriptions. And I hope that this week they're going to be important for you. Verse 2 of chapter 4, I'm going to read it again. Please, Lord, isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled Tarshish in the first place. I knew you're gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. Five descriptors that Jonah uses to describe the Lord. These characteristics of his character. And they're actually used throughout the Old Testament in multiple places. Jonah didn't write these. These are not the first time we see these in the Bible. Jonah is going off the revealed word of God, and I want you to see these with me because I think they're very, very important. The the first one that the Lord uh, is described at is being gracious. And, And interestingly enough, this is only an attitude or a characteristic that is described of God in the Old Testament according to language scholars. It's reserved for the Lord. So it means that God has an ear for the vexed cry of the needy. Now think about that for a second. God has a ear for the vexed cry of the needy, the, the anguished cry of the needy, when, when I don't know what to do. So, so you understand why this starts to make sense for people who are lost. What's the greatest need that we have? It's salvation. So when, when I have this, this cry of my heart that I'm lost, I'm in need of something, but, but its earliest use, I think, comes from Exodus 22 and verse 26 and 27. If you ever take your neighbor's cloak as collateral, return it to him before sunset, for it is, it is his only covering. It's the clothing of his body. What will he sleep in? And if he cries out to me, I will listen because I am gracious. So there's a physical manifestation of it. I'm in need of something, Lord, and I cry out to you. And and, and God says, I'm I'm near to the cry of the needy. And so Jonah describes the Lord that way. So I want you to think about what that says about the Lord. We have physical needs, and and we know that the Lord is compassionate towards us in those things. We know that, 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 that he's good to us in those things. All week long, I've been listening to this song, and maybe you've heard it. It's it's been out for a little while, but it's called Jireh. It gets its name from the Old Testament story of Abraham and Isaac. Abraham is in God's covenant. God's going to build a, a great nation through him and a people through him that will bless all of the world because the Savior, Jesus Christ, is going to come from the line of Abraham. 
But God gives Abraham and his wife Sarah a son named Isaac. And they're old in age when this happens. And to test Abraham to see if he would really follow him, God says, go and sacrifice your only son, Isaac. You remember what happens? They walk with their servants. Abraham leaves the servants and says, hey, the boy and I are going over here to worship and we will come back to you. He's believing God's going to do something amazing. He puts Isaac on the altar. I just remember this from the little living Bible I had when I was a kid. There was a picture of, of Abraham with a knife in his hand about to slay his son. And you see the angel of the Lord saying, no, stop. And what had God done? There was a ram caught in the thickets. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. When we think about our needs and we think about the graciousness of God, it's a really great picture. In this song, it says, if he clothes the sparrows with splendor and beauty, how much more does he love you? It's, it's right out of the Gospels, right? That the Lord loves us so much that if he would clothe a sparrow or the lily, I'm sorry, with a splendor and beauty and, and his eyes on the sparrow, how much more does he love us to do these things? He loves us so much. He's compassionate towards us. He's not uncaring. But isn't that what many people say? God doesn't care. If there was a God, he wouldn't let this place be such a mess. He, he wouldn't do this. But God's not uncaring at all. That's absolutely not true because God is gracious towards his children, and he's created us. He knows our physical needs, but he knows our spiritual need too. And because he knew our spiritual need, he sent his son Jesus to die in our place. Second descriptor of the Lord there is compassionate. It just means that he shows favor and not punishment that is so often deserved. So you could think about this often when we talk about God's mercy. We deserve something, and God doesn't give us that. Instead, he gives us grace. So he's compassionate towards us in that way. And this is a, a beautiful thing from Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 31. It said, He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your ancestors that he swore to them by oath because the Lord your God is a compassionate God. That verse comes at the very end of a passage where Moses has says, Here's the thing. You guys are going to blow it. You're absolutely going to mess up. You're going to wander away from the Lord. Things aren't going to be good. But here's the deal. God will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant because he is compassionate. Now, you think about this for a second. What do you deserve? Really, what do you deserve? What do I deserve? We've done nothing except to deserve death. The wages of sin is death, Romans tells us. That's what we deserve. But God, who is compassionate towards us, moved in our direction. He, he didn't wait for us to figure it out and come find him because we wouldn't do it. That's what the picture of the shepherd is in the New Testament. The 99 are left to go find the one that is lost because God's always seeking and saving those who are lost. He is chasing people so that they will know his goodness. And he's been so compassionate by not letting the sentence of death fall on us. Instead, he placed our guilt on Jesus Christ who didn't deserve it at all and the wrath of God was satisfied there. That's a beautiful picture of mercy and compassion. The third thing that Jonah says is that God is slow to anger. The word is patient or long-suffering and, and many times we just feel like the Lord has snapped his finger and brought retribution or, or destruction on something and, and we see that and we don't see in eternity God's patience. 
God's been so patient with you. He's been so patient with me. And we often don't see this. We, we, we don't see how gracious he's been in being slow to anger because he gives people opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. Would you consider for a moment Moses and Pharaoh? Pharaoh is enslaving God's people in Egypt. And so what does God do? Does he just wipe out the Egyptians? No. He sends Moses with signs and wonders and a message and says, you need to let our people go. God wants his people. And Pharaoh says, not going to do it. So Moses has the plagues that God initiates. And those plagues start and end with the Lord, by the way. It says that Moses wasn't able to start them or stop them. God did it. Moses is just a mouthpiece for that. This is God trying to get his attention. And even at the end of it, when God brings judgment on them, he's still compassionate because he doesn't wipe out the entire nation of Egypt. God is slow to anger. Number four, he's abounding in faithful love. When you think of, un, I mean, abounding in faithful love, you can think of it as unfailing kindness and devotion. It's unfailing. It doesn't stop. And, and, and it's love that's steadfast. But I love that Jonah calls it abounding. That word just means overflowing. Do you remember that in, in the Psalms, David said, you fill my cup until it overflows. In other words, it, it, I don't have enough to even hold what you have for me. I can't even contain it because it's so great. God doesn't just love you a little bit. He loves you so much that you can't even understand or fathom how deep the Father's love for us goes, how far it will go. It overflows in our lives. God doesn't just give us a little. He gives us all of himself when we come to Christ. We get it all. And he's abounding in faithful love. He's not stingy with his love. Have you ever been with a stingy person? That's not fun. It's awful, honestly. Because even when they're doing something for you, you have the distinct impression that they really don't want to do it. It's totally different with the Lord. He abounds in faithful love. It overflows towards us. The fifth and final descriptor that Jonah gives is this idea of God relenting from disaster. The word relent is funny. We, we probably don't use that very often, but it just means reconsider. That God reconsiders disaster. And why would he reconsider? Well, it's because God is always looking for people that will earnestly seek his face. He's always ready to forgive. He's always ready to welcome people. We saw it in chapter two when God appointed a fish for Jonah. He didn't just destroy Jonah. He, he reconsidered. He gave Jonah another chance. We saw it in chapter three when he gave all of Nineveh a chance again and again. And we see that, that God's answer for us when we fail is that he's always ready for us to come back. He's not sitting in heaven waiting just to zap us. Where did Jonah possibly learn all of this about the Lord? How does he uh, be able to say this? Is it from himself? Is it from his own experience? Remember, he, it's not just from this experience because he said, I knew this about you already. I knew this is exactly who you are. Well, if you remember... This description of God is actually found in the book of Exodus because God said it about himself. Moses had been up on a mountain with the Lord receiving the Ten Commandments when the Lord told him, you better go back down because the people you've brought out of Egypt have made a golden calf for themselves and they're worshiping a false idol. Moses had the Ten Commandments. You remember he threw them and broke them 
And it said later that he, after, after they had repented of that, that Moses fashioned the Ten Commandments again on t- stone tablets that were very much like the first. But it's amazing what happened. God was gracious to the people. And here's what God said about himself. Exodus 34, verse 5, 6, and 7. The Lord came down in a cloud and stood with him there, that's Moses, and proclaimed his name, the Lord. The Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord is compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequence of the father's iniquity on children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. Does that sound pretty similar to what Jonah said about God? Where did he get it? God said it about himself. God has revealed this. God says, I'm compassionate, I'm gracious, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love. Notice that he even said, I forgive iniquity and rebellion and sin. God had said these things to Moses, and this becomes very important for us. Because I can think of a a number of scenarios that could be happening in this room this morning. It could be, for instance, that you might believe today some things about God that are simply not true. And that affects how you relate to God. If you don't have a proper view of who God is, it will absolutely affect your relationship. Because some of those things that that we might have believed about God were maybe informed by our own fathers. And that's an unfortunate thing that happens because it doesn't matter how good your dad was, your dad's not perfect, right? So, so we kind of get a little bit of a father figure thing sometimes from our dad or, or maybe we didn't have a good relationship with our dad or he was absent and it informs some things that we think about God that could be incorrect. Maybe your dad wasn't slow to anger and it's hard to believe that God is slow to anger. I think some of us believe incorrectly that God's just sitting in heaven waiting to zap us. I mean, he's just excited about the mess up so that he can just really lay it on us. That's not true. You don't find that in Scripture. What you find is a God who over and over again meets us in our need and says, Turn back. Come back to me. Repent. I'm waiting right here for you. I haven't moved. In fact, I'm chasing you. Come find me. I'm right here. We'd be good to remember this morning, I think, and even wise to remember that it might benefit our adversary Satan a lot if we had an incorrect view of God the Father. Because that would be something that Satan would love for us to have. Because if I have an incorrect view of God the Father, it creates distance between my Father and me. Maybe some in the room today don't feel like God has been gracious and compassionate. Because we've gone through a difficult season. or Maybe a time in our lives where we've prayed for things that that didn't happen. Did that mean that God was less gracious and compassionate towards us? That's hard to understand, isn't it? I remember being a 10-year-old boy, a new Christian, and being told that my grandmother had cancer and that she was terminal. It wouldn't, there would be nothing that could be done, but we should pray. Well, we did, and God called her home. Is God not gracious and compassionate even in that? 
That was hard to understand as a child. Well, well why do we pray? Well, God, if, if I'm going to do all this praying, but you don't answer, what a limited view, right? To, to not see with, with God's eyes that God was being gracious to us and compassionate because we're all going to die. That's an inevitability. We, we don't like to admit that. And we don't like to admit it because we, we think that there's a timeline in our minds of when that should happen and how it should be. And it's just never that way. But you know, God was gracious. We had a wonderful almost year with my grandmother. As a grown man today, I can finally speak about it without crying, you know. God was so good, so good to us. I couldn't see it at the time. I felt like I was lost in that. But, but I think if, if we view God that way, we, we just understand him in a diminished capacity, and it, it changes how we relate to him. I'll put it to you like this. When I was in college, I had a very good friend who's now a pastor as well, and I really respected this guy who's a little bit older than me, and he always hung out. I, I would see him around campus with this other guy and I asked him one day, I was like, what, what are you hanging out with that guy for all the time? I'd had some experiences with him from a distance that had not been maybe great. And I really had judged this, this guy. And my friend, Matt, said, man, you don't even know what God's been doing in his life. It's crazy. You need to go knock on his door and get to know him. You need to hear his story. I thought about that for a couple of days. I lived on the same hall with this guy, and I thought, well, why not? So I went and knocked on his door one day and said, hey, man, I was hanging out with Matt the other day, and he told me I had to come hear your story. And he started telling me about how God had changed his life in the last year and what God had been doing in his life. And, and he became one of my, my closest Christian brothers. You see, if, if I have a preconceived notion about somebody that's wrong, it creates distance. Don't you think it does the same thing with our relationship with the Lord? It makes it difficult for us to trust the Lord when we don't take him at his word. Last week, we spent a lot of time talking about people hearing the message and how they responded to Jonah. And I want to ask you this question because it was said in the passage of Scripture last week, they believed God. Do you believe God? And I don't mean... You know, like, are you a Christian? I hope that you are. And if you're not, today I hope that you'll become one. That you'd surrender your life to God and believe him. But I mean, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, do you really believe God? Or have you allowed events to color your belief about God? Are you living with a diminished view of God today in such a way that, that you've ascribed characteristics to the Lord that aren't true? That would affect your closeness with the Lord. We need to look at the scripture and believe what God says about himself. Otherwise, we're, we're living with this diminished and incorrect picture of who God is. And, and I think this morning it would be good for us all to stop and thank God for who he is. Gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, relenting from bringing disaster towards people. And maybe there's some other characteristics you can think of through the scriptures. God being long-suffering with us, patient with us. God being the giver of every good and perfect gift. 
that his ways are perfect. And, and for us as a body of believers to look at the Lord and thank him for who he really is, not for who maybe we thought he was, but to go before him this week and say, I know who you are because your word has revealed it. And I thank you for it. I think that would open up a dimension in our relationship with the Lord that would invite closeness with him. Maybe that we haven't experienced in a long time. To have a closeness and a fellowship with the Lord. And part of that problem is, is just me, isn't it? It's, it's my assumptions about things and maybe not knowing. But I can find that in the person of Jesus Christ. And I can find it in the scripture if I really want to know. Maybe you don't want to know. You ever thought about that? I think sometimes we like being bitter. It's just easy. Like being miserable. I had a relative one time who said, it gives me energy. You ever feel that way? Come on. Nobody wants to live like that. Can I ask you to do me a favor? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning? I think sometimes we don't realize that if we view the Lord incorrectly, it probably means we also view ourselves incorrectly. Diminish him and overinflate our own importance, ourselves. I'm going to ask you right now just to go before the Lord and would you just get a real picture of who he is and, and thank him for that? Thank him for his love this morning. God, we love you. We ask forgiveness for where we have diminished your character or made you to be less than what you are. You are perfect in all your ways. Father, I pray for us as a body of believers this morning that we would experience a closeness and a freshness in our walk with you this week. Would you reveal more of yourself to us, Lord? uncloud our minds and our thinking so that we can see you and picture you perfectly. We ask this in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to have a song of response and invitation. and Maybe just as you are, ask the Lord to be your vision, to open up so that you can see all of who he is.
seated this morning. A couple of announcements for you today. Uh, right after our second service, we're having a kids ministry expo in the gathering room. And that's just to let you know all of the ministry opportunities we have in our kids ministry. And there are a lot. And uh, we need a couple of you to really answer the call. We'll have lunch for you uh, so that you can uh, see a little bit about what's going on with Pastor Rich and the kids ministry. It should last about 45 Minutes And speaking of kids ministry, next week is promotion Sunday for our life groups. Uh, it's kind of funny, isn't it? I, in Baptist life, uh, it's very rare that your life group after a little while as you're an adult really is true to your age, isn't it? Come on, don't lie. You know what I'm talking about. That sign on the door says you're 40s and 50s, and you hadn't been that in 30 years. But you know what? If you keep thinking it, you feel better, don't you? It just works that way. Uh, next, uh, today, I should say, at the L-shaped desk, we have a deacon selection form. It's really a nomination form for you. And inside of it are the descriptions and the qualifications uh, of what, it, what is a deacon. And, and if you'd like to nominate someone to be a deacon, would you take this, read through it, and prayerfully consider someone? Uh, our deacons are beginning that process of of working through these, and you have a couple of weeks to get these back to us. They have to be turned back in by August the 14th. Our Wednesday night activities, all of them resume on August the 17th, and so we're looking forward to that, and we look forward to us being together with Awana, uh, student ministry, our grow groups, all of that comes back on the 17th. As you leave today, you can uh, give in our offering boxes or uh, online or through the Church Center app, and we would love for you to do that. Thank you for your faithfulness to be obedient to God's word. All right, I'm just going to dismiss us. We're kind of short on time, but let's uh, stand and be dismissed. God bless you today.